You're listening to The Outspoken Bible, a podcast from Scottish Bible Society with Fiona Stewart, Neil Glover and Jen Robertson. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 7 of The Outspoken Bible. I'm Fiona Stewart and, as usual, I'm joined by Jen Robertson and Neil Glover. Hello. Hi. Hello. We're getting very good at this. Uh, this episode, we're back online again after our lovely trip to Aberfeldy. It was it was a lovely trip. Thank you so much, Neil, for having us. Oh, it was great to see you. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping you might be back to... soon. Well, <laughs> yes. Keep your ears peeled, listeners, because there might be some uh, news on that at some point later on. Uh, yeah, it was. It was really good actually being back in the same room, wasn't it? But uh, we're back in our respective homes, looking at each other over screens again. Half an hour of weirdness, <laughs> having to turn around to see each other. No, very odd. It's very odd. Now, um, correspondence-wise, we don't. I don't have much in the way of correspondence, other than to say that I had a message from my friend Jill Morrison to say how much she had loved. She used the word "loved" and she put it in capital letters. Our conversation about the woman at the well from John chapter four. So that was great to hear some feedback from Jill. But Neil, I think you've maybe also had yeah, some correspondence. Yeah, I had a. I had a visit at church on Sunday. There was a couple turned up at church on Sunday in Strathtay, which is. Um, normally people visit our part of the world they normally come to Aberfeldy Parish Church but there was a couple who came to Strathtay and the, the woman looked slightly familiar and I thought well, that looks like Julia Lang as she used to be and she said oh it's Julia Kennedy and it was her husband Simon and they, they came from Luxembourg they were on a trip over from Luxembourg and they deliberately wanted to come to Strathtay and a big part of the reason was to say how much they enjoyed listening to the podcast in Luxembourg oh. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So it was lovely to see them. They were hugely encouraging. So uh, Simon and Julia, if you're listening in the car in Luxembourg at the moment, hope you're well. Thank you so much for your encouragement. Anybody else in the low countries that would like to be in touch with us, that would be fantastic. And if <laughs> anybody else <laughs> wants to use a, a short number of days in Scotland to come to Aberfeldy Stroke Strathtay and tell us that you enjoy the podcast, please do. It'd be lovely to see oh, you. Fantastic. That's fantastic i feel like you're you're reeling people in you're sort of building your parish neil <laughs> using your platform to do it that's fantastic oh great stuff well very good um now on today's episode we're going to be discussing john chapter six are you ready for this yeah it's, it's getting better every time this, right, okay okay this is a chapter where we find manna for a crowd a man upon the water and all manner of theological explanations <laughs> oh <laughs> nice oh where did you come up with that this morning well done <laughs> thank you very that must much have been a good you. moment oh it was it was lovely it was lovely i had something about i was i was playing around with deacon blue and pax's lunch in a sunless bag but i yeah I, I ditched that although i've now brought it up you still got you still got still got minutes out of it podcast <laughs> seconds podcast seconds building up so that is what's ahead of us just in say john that again because I, I think i was so good it needs to it needs okay. digested so, so john chapter six is a chapter where we find manna for a crowd a man upon the water and all manner of theological explanations. Brilliant. <laughs> Thank you. Anyway, before that, it is time for Glover's Off. Glover's Off this week. I think, Fiona, you'll know what I'm referring to when I say this. Uh, Jen, do you know what I would mean by the BBC's flagship film programme? No, I don't know. Uh, Fiona, do. what's the BBC's flagship film programme? Wittertainment. Wittertainment. Film review with Simon Mayo and, well, the, 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 the now, well, maybe that's what you're going to talk about. I am. That's the, the late I'm... film review with Simon Mayo and Mark Kermode. 
as uh, as we're talking, the last uh, BBC Five Live, they're being very coy about whether it's going to go somewhere yes. else. I've uh, been trying to find out, and it's it's under wraps. Is that it? right? Well, the well, last the last show on Five Live tomorrow um, is is a major watermark. It's the the film review show. I I think. It's probably been the podcast, maybe along with Krista Tibbetts on being, which has influenced me the most. And it, it launched in 2005. It took the name podcast when that was a really new term. And the first ever episode of Kermode and Mail was downloaded 42 times. Is that right? Yeah, first off. <laughs> and um, it it was as of, I've been doing some research, as of 2014, I think it was the BBC's second most popular podcast. And as of 2018, I think it was the fourth most popular of the previous four years. I think things that they've done incredibly well, Kermode and Mail, is that they are, a, they, they mine listeners. That's why I'm desperate for more emails because they're brilliant. And um, so Fiona, if I said to you LTLFTE, what does that stand for? Uh, long-term listener, what was it? FTE, uh, uh, First ST. time, first time emailer. Yeah, yeah, and, it, <laughs> and that's become a, a code. And they just they just develop all these languages yeah. and themes. Um, what is it? Um, the, the more recent one is what Tinky Tonk down with the Nazis, which is a Queen Mother statement. That's right. Is that right? I didn't, yes. I didn't know that. Oh yes, yes. From. There was a, it, it pops it pops up somewhere in an episode where apparently she used to sign her letters that way. Tinky Tonk and down with the Nazis. <laughs> right. And now they start saying up with the blue haired feminists. <laughs> That's it, they've added that one. The pipe smoking blue haired feminist. Oh, is that, is that right? <laughs> so they've got all these things, and then all this comes from listeners. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, what I love about them is that they treat their listeners with incredible respect. And what it tells me is that you can have a really respectful, warm, value based conversation, which is still really, really interesting. And and that's and it, it it gives lie to the idea that you have to be controversial or snide or or bitter or angry or any of those things, in, in order to to generate quality, a quality conversation that you want to be part of. And and subconsciously, um, I would like to think that the spirit of wittertainment somehow lives in a little bit in, in some of what we do. I I love um well they're both Christians um I I. I haven't followed their Christian lives, but in an era when so many celebrity Christians kind of abandon it at some point, I think their faith is still hugely important to them. I once saw Simon Mayo at Greenbelt in the 1990s. He was fantastic leading the crowd. He he played um, on that occasion 500 Miles by the Proclaimers, but that was such a novelty then because not everybody was, you know, now it happens every time somebody scores a goal yes. at Hamden or Murrayfield. <laughs> but in those days, it was completely new. And and, and he he figured that that bit was 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 an iconic and brilliant thing to do um they they love art and um, curiously one of the films as you know that they absolutely love the most is the exorcist because of spiritual themes and um a kermode hates the passion of the christ mel gibson's film um because he i think he just felt it was a, a horror movie with a kind of christian veneer to it but it, but it's a strong sense of values that lie beneath what they do and and faith is really important to them to the extent that they have clergy corner uh, where they invite members of the clergy to write in with uh, thoughts where I think and ideas. you have featured, have you I've not? been on it three times. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the record holder for Church of Scotland, or probably all Scottish clergy, is probably Paul McEwan up in uh, Belhavy in Aberdeenshire. I think he's been on seven times. And <laughs> Not that you're keeping score. Oh, no, we definitely keep score. <laughs> and uh, William Wilson, I think, has probably been on four times as well. 
Um, so he's he's uh, and he's brilliant uh, on it. So I love I love quality conversation. I love the respect for audience. I love the fact that they have shown that warm, coherent, intelligent conversation can be hugely entertaining. And uh, really, really going to miss it when it goes from Five Lives. So well done to Kermode and Mayo since 2005 for Wittertainment. And that's this week's Glovers Off. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much, Neil. Jen, it's going to make you wish that you'd tuned in. You well, to the I, have back tuned, I have tuned in occasionally. I'm just not mm-hmm. an avid follower. I think one of the things that I like about it is it is about film. And, you know, I love hearing about film, but really a lot of what's talked about is not about film at all. It is, it is the building of community, isn't it's, it? And it's they are life. both expert at what they do. And, and they do this thing where... I mean, it's like a lot of podcasts. The, the podcast bit before the actual film reviews has just grown and grown and grown. Uh-huh. It's hugely interesting. Uh-huh. It, Which is why, to some extent, I mean, it, it does feel like an end of an era that it's coming off Five Live, but but I, actually, whatever they choose to do with it, yeah, I think that's really probably a continuation, isn't it? Of, yeah, of yeah. I mean, they, they and they've... T- yeah, you, do you mean that they'll probably take it somewhere else? They don't need Five yeah. Live to do what they, they do. Need, yes, yes, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. I think so. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know the, the rationale of the reasons. I mean, they're being very, they are being quite coy about it, aren't they? Yeah. Just one final thing we need to say. Hello to Jason Isaacs. Hello to Jason Isaacs. Thank you. You know, there's a whole raft of people who are going to be like, what on earth are they talking about? We are going to get correspondence on the back of that. That's not a bad thing. Yeah. It's okay. I'm with those people. Yeah. <laughs> be like Jen. <laughs> I love the fact that when my email was read out in Clergy Corner, you pulled over to Layby to text me. You were so excited. <laughs> Very excited, very excited. Because it's actually not that often that you do hear people you you know, but it's exciting. Anyhow, I was thank on you reporting very much, Scotland last week. That is, what? Yeah, final segment of reporting Scotland was all about Aberfeldy. And were you speaking? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't believe you didn't text us to tell us that. I'll send you the BBC iPlayer link. Do excellent. Oh, that'll be excellent. Very good. Good. Well, today we are talking about John chapter six. So if you're using a light and life gospel, that's on pages 19 to 21. Jen, I have to say, just sorry, as a slight aside at this point, I was at a conference last week where somebody was explaining the rationale of not including Bible verses. Yes. You know, not including the little things. And and it was very convincing in terms of how the, the flow of the uh, well, yeah. the narrative happened. It was also because we sp- spoke to some young people across Scotland in churches. That's another reason we do it at SBS. Yes. Well, there you go. Yeah. There we go. So I'm, I'm <laughs> revising my opinion on that. I always get what, a bit What's the rationale? Well, it's to do with the flow of the narrative that, that well, and also that they're artificially placed. So it's, it's to help you read it as, as it was, as literature, yeah. as it was originally yeah. written. Yeah. 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 And I mean, he would have taken out chapters as well. Yeah. It does make it a little bit tricky to find things, but... Yeah, it, and also it, it makes for quite a long Bible reading in church, doesn't it? What I've, there, yeah, so a couple of things about it. Um, for, so the research that we did with uh, young people across Scotland in 2019, uh, there's five sort of major findings. And the first one was that it wasn't the size of the Bible that put young people off reading the Bible. It was the format, including the, the verse numbers and the columns and the small font. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, I have sat with young people who have who have been reading the Bible and never really read it before, and they've read out the little numbers because, I mean, why wouldn't you read mm. out the little numbers? And I've also sat with people. We did uh, community Bible experience as a in my home church, and I think not having the chapters and verses makes everybody on the same level. So you all have to say, "Oh, what page is that? Where will we find that?" Rather than the people who've been reading the Bible for years and years, and you're like, "Oh, a chapter and a verse. I can find that. I can do that." It, it kind of flattens the it makes it a level playing ground playground play pitch playing anyway, field, like playing field. Yeah. Playing field. Yeah. that's right yeah. 
<laughs> that's no, that's very interesting. And actually, one of the that we'll put a link to the community Bible experience on the show notes. But one yeah. of the 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 draws of that is that you do it as a almost like a book group. Yes, that's in right. the sense that you would you would discuss yeah. it. And another story about Dear Theo, another SBS product. I sat with young people reading it so that it's Luke and Acts uh, and it's good. It's in the same format. It looks like a normal book. It's just got chapters. And a young person I was sitting with opened that up and said, oh, it's, it's like a real book. Mm. So immediately she was drawn into it because it didn't have that feel of being odd as Bibles yes. often do. Yes. There we go. Well, we're in John chapter six. I, I, I would be fair to say that coming at that fresh maybe with with very little explanation it could come across as quite odd i think we'll touch on some quite odd themes so we start with the the miracle of the feeding of the five thousand yeah this this is classic the, the, so this is the most i would say the the most johnist chapter of john so the classic format particularly for these early chapters i've said this before that john's like the sunday times color supplement he takes a a story and then he expands on it and for example, John 3, it's the Nicodemus conversation. John 4, it's the woman at the well. John 5, it's the man who's healed. Although there's also the, the, not the centurion servant, sorry, the official servant in John. Here it's the feeding of the, um, the, the does it say 5,000 5, plus? Are they called 5,000? 5, the feeding of the crowd. Oh, that's a good question. It is the crowd in here, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then the walking. 5,000 is a bit of a misnumber anyway, isn't it? A misnumber of a misnumber. Yeah, plus women and children. Mm, Could you be like saying, yeah, sorry. Yeah, yeah. I'll not go down that route. As in, a man. The, in the NIV, it's about 5,000 men were there in brackets. Which verse is that? Well, I don't know because I'm using the Light and Life Gospel. <laughs> I should have checked that. I did. It's the, only, it's the only miracle which is in all four Gospels. And in Matthew and Mark, it appears twice. Um, well, mm -hmm. it's repeated the 5,000 and 4,000. So it's a really important miracle. But as you say, it starts with a miracle, classic John, tell the story, and then, is it sacrilegious to say riff on it? Is that, is that too I think so. Expand disrespectful? On it. He meditate, just, just delve. Jesus just delves into the whole thing about bread and eating and what, it, what that means. And then amongst it all, of course, we've got this... Um, this uh, water walking with the, what people often forget about is the miracle of the very fast moving boat. Yes, because immediately they were back at the other yes. side. Yes. Yeah. Oh, say what a is, bit more about that. So is, yeah. is it? Yes. Yes. So that's the, true. So Jesus walks in the water, comes out and joins the disciples, and then the minute he gets into the boat, they're suddenly at the other side. Mm -hmm. People forget that bit. Well, that's pretty miraculous in and of yeah, itself, yeah. isn't it? It's a it's an undernoted miracle because the Sea of Galilee is not is not small. I mean, I was reading somewhere. Well, I was reading somewhere that it's uh, the length was it twelve miles long, right, and seven miles wide at its widest point, or something okay. something along those lines. So it's a substantial body of water. I mean, you know this, but you know, a hundred meters is a is a long way on <laughs> water. I know, I know <laughs> so... it's a long way to get yourself from one bit to another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do, what do you think that means, though? That immediacy of the return. Because there, there could be various readings and understandings of that. You know, ha yeah. had they gone further than they thought because it was so stormy and traumatic, and they didn't really realise they were as close to the shore as they were. Yeah, did I mean that this, it might not be a miracle. Yeah, yeah, did Jesus sudden? Did his arrival on the boat over overwhelm so much and was so amazing that it felt like oh, they, they were back at shore right away because everything had changed so much? I mean, I'm not I'm not saying it, it wasn't a miracle, uh -huh. but there, I think there could be lots of different reasons why. That, that phrase is there, the immediacy of them being back at shore. Yeah. Because it's a very bizarre situation that they're in. 
I think, here's my take, that one of the things that happens with Jesus around is the constraints of the ordinary natural physical world get bent out of their usual shape. Whether you're turning water into wine, whether you're walking on water, whether you're turning loaves into a multitude of loaves, whether people are being healed, around Jesus, the ordinary constraints of, of physical space and, and the laws of that, not that people in that time would ever have talked about that. Well, the Greeks would, Logos. But yeah, all of that gets reshaped f- for a purpose. It's not just showmanship. It's it's for the goodness of people. Yeah, and we're we're building a body of evidence around that, aren't, aren't we? I'm, I'm finding that quite interesting about the fact that we're reading through the gospel, you know, and stopping and discussing each chapter as we go, because because what's happening is... You, you, so, so, you, I've heard arguments where people say, "Well, maybe he wasn't really walking water. Maybe it was there was a bit of sand underneath." And, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. This kind of stuff. Or it was really on you, the shore. Yeah, yeah, it was really on the shore. Maybe they were close to the shore. Than they thought, but but actually, it, it, when you build the body of evidence, yeah. you, I think you reach a conclusion. Where you think, well, you either have to accept this or you 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 have to reject it. Yeah, yeah. So you, know, it's not, you can't really yeah. make sense of all of these things and say, oh, "Well, you know, everything else is okay, but the miracles." Oh. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't you, seem you logical have to, to me. Yeah, and I, I think I always work backwards from the resurrection on those things, you know. If yes. But, but yeah, all these kind of things about, you know, maybe there's sand under the water. I mean, if you're not going to believe that's it. That's pretty miraculous. Yeah, just go, John made it up. I mean, that's <laughs> yes, a far that's, easier route out yeah. of it for your skepticism <laughs> rather than, well, maybe there was sand under the Sea of Galilee and mm-hmm. all this kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Yeah. And you know the clue again. We say it before. We've said it before. We've said it again. The clue is in the prologue, isn't it? Yeah, if yeah. if this man is genuinely who John claimed him to be right from the beginning, then a little bit of water's not going to get in the way, really, is it? That, that's the summary for season four of the Outspoken yes. Bible. The clue was yeah. in the prologue. <laughs> the clue was in the prologue. Just listen yeah. to episode one. You're fine. You've got it. Yes. So, uh, is there anything we want to say in particular about the about the feeding episode? So uh, interesting, Neil, that you mentioned it. It mentions it's mentioned all four in all four gospels. The significance of that. Uh, I, Jen, I think you were also reading what I was in advance, which was Tom Wright's John for Everyone. And he draws careful attention to the fact that it was at the time of the Passover. And mm. I have to confess, I've never noticed that. Mm. I never um, noticed that before. That. And, and I think that gives a really important context to everything else that's mm-hmm. going to happen. Because I know we, we, you just asked us to talk about the feeding of the 5,000. But the, the, the water, the walking on the water, if it's if it's this chapter's all about Passover, the second Passover, because we've already had the clearing of the temple, which was the first Passover of Jesus' ministry, and we're going to have the third Passover when he dies and rises again. Um, you know, the water becomes significant because the Passover is celebrating an exodus where the people came to the Red Sea and God miraculously uh, brought them oh, through Oh, yes. I'd never mm-hmm. know. I'd never noticed mm-hmm. that before. That I'd, yes. I'd always. <laughs> Sorry. Come on. <laughs> yeah, I'd like the, to say we the, got that to that conclusion ourselves, but it was Tom right. But, but still, the, but the walking water. I'd always thought, what's that doing in there? But yes, it's mm-hmm. it's cross the Red Sea and then to, it, it's the reenactment of the ex. No, anyway, you all know mm-hmm. this. You're looking at me. Yeah, going, we do. We read the book. late to the party here, Glover. <laughs> I yeah, just I, I, had a moment of just, excitement there. But the importance of of reading through the whole chat. I don't think I've ever even noticed that the the. Jesus walking in the water comes after the the giving of the bread on the hillside. I mean, uh-huh. I knew that the next bit came when Jesus talks about this is my bread to eat, but yes, I, I, I kind of know. I just I'd taken the the walking on the water and placed it somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and as we talked about, John's placement of things is really important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So this is the God. This is the God who gave the bread in the desert. Is mm-hmm. this 
and took them th- from Egypt is this same God who's sitting in this hillside giving yes. you this bread and walking on the water. Yes. Yeah. And and it, as somebody who loves, you know, I love putting things into kind of contextualized, I love teaching a game <laughs> and using that to teach a story and all that sort of stuff. It's just also clever, isn't it? It's also clever how the context speaks to the message that's that's being communicated because the word is flesh. Huh. So the the message is the... Yeah, the, I mean, it, it takes you back to that quote from Jimmy Reed of, um, if Jesus, if Jesus was invented, I'd have to worship the man who invented him. Mm-hmm. You know, it's mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. it's good. just yeah. such such genius. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, and yet again, we're we're seeing re, uh, just this beautiful reenvisioning of the story of Israel, mm-hmm. and and, and the, mm-hmm. this is all about man. I mean, the link's explicit. Sometimes in the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the link is not explicit. It's uh-huh. just assumed. Whereas here, they do. They start talking about man in the desert and seeing Jesus as the true bread. And I, I think there are, yeah, the 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 big theme here again in in John is that Jesus is the one who sustains all life. Back to the prologue again. In Him was life. So we had Jesus giving water. Um, we've had a breath, which is air, in John chapter three. Although that's a spirit. And here we've got bread, and then later on we're going to, well, John 2 and in John 15, we'll get wine. So one, these are all um, metaphors of, of, of sufficiency, of essential vitality, of life and of abundance. Mm-hmm. The abundance, yeah, yeah. So I was just thinking about the abundance and, you know, the, the fact that the there was so much bread left over. Mm. In fact, there was maybe there was more bread left over than there was it just it just goes on and on. Everybody yeah, had enough to eat. That's that's mentioned as well. It wasn't just like, I mean, my family famously we once went for a walk in Northumberland and we got to a pub at the end, a very isolated pub, and we had we were saying to the children who were quite young at that time, "No, oh, keep going, keep going. We'll get a really nice lunch at the pub." And then when we got to the pub, we realised it was cash only, and we only had cards, oh, no. and we had to have one cheese toasty divided between the four of us. <laughs> But this, the feeding of the 5,000 is not like that. You're not getting a tiny wee morsel. Everybody had enough to eat. And then there was 12 baskets. I always wondered where they got the baskets from. Here's a question. Um, but there was 12, maybe it's metaphorical baskets. Um, so much left over. This is abundance. It's not, it's not just what you need. It's more than you need. There's there's two reflections on, on that. Firstly, um, I first became aware of the picking up of the scraps in a... A talk that I heard in a church called St. Matthew's in Postle Park in the middle of Glasgow. And for people that don't know Postle Park, I'd be very careful with my language here. I used to live there, but it, it wouldn't be known as, as um, Glasgow's most picturesque area, perhaps. I don't know if that's unfair. Um, it's certainly an area where, where hardship exists in quite a visible way. And there's this Episcopal church right in the middle of it. Now, I'm, I'm going to be careful about what I say about where you often find Episcopal churches. You don't often find them in the middle of housing estates. I'm sorry if anybody's listening from the Scottish Episcopal Church and wants to contradict me on that one, but but that would be my experience. And and yet here was St. Matthew's and you walk in and it is absolutely stunning. I mean, it's as high Episcopal church as you can possibly imagine just a beautiful beautiful place and clearly people have thought this will be a place of beauty to which people mm-hmm. can come mm-hmm. and i remember the priest talking about the parable and he or no the miracle rather 
And he said, you know, we often talk about the breaking of the bread in the Eucharist. We often talk about this, the, the, how God takes much, little and turns it into much. We often talk about the abundance, and we'll come to that in a wee minute. But he said, we often forget when we tell this story that another important part is the picking up of the scraps. Mm-hmm. And he said, what we often do in our church is we pick up the scraps. Mm-hmm. We, we mm-hmm. pick up the people who have been abandoned. We pick up the people who have been left behind. We, 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 we pick up the people who regard themselves as the discards from life. And this place of beauty is a place where we pick up the scraps. And, and I love, sorry, the contrast as well of, that Walter Brueggemann often draws and he uses the Exodus 16 story of man in the desert. I think we've talked about this before, where he says that the, the economy of the world is scarcity. You don't have enough. You need to have more. Advertising says you need this in order to be fulfilled and then you get that and then you think this is the next thing. Um, and permanently inhabits us with a sense of fear that there is not enough. And then he says well, he calls it Sabbath economics, is that there is always abundance. In the economy of God, there is always enough. And I, I love that that appears here in this story as this image of abundance. And I just think when you were talking there, Neil, that the, the people picking up the scraps were the disciples. Mm. And and I'm including the women. I know maybe officially they aren't disciples, but they would be there. Um, and so many of them, they they felt the way you've described, the ab- abandoned, ignored, excluded. But here they were with Jesus, uh, the ones who were left out and abandoned. But here they are picking up the scraps. Uh, they're those kind of people. I'm thinking of Mary, particularly Mary Magdalene, because I've been just come from a school assembly uh, where I was telling part of her story. Do we want to talk about the, the is, is it a little boy bringing his packed lunch? That's the kind of, we have that idea in our heads that we often from... Sunday school retellings we both is this lunch. is the, the the quintessential Laura McGray, uh, my old mentor at Abernethy. Children's address involved a packed lunchbox. I'm going to tell you the story of the boy with the packed lunchbox. It's been fabulous. Uh, yeah, I presume he would have been a boy, been under twelve. It yeah. says, but yeah, it says boy. Yeah, because uh, yes. he wouldn't be a boy anymore once you were twelve. So yeah. uh-huh. that's correct. I think there's a boldness about him. Mm. I mean, obviously, Andrew finds him. I find that interesting because Andrew is often the one you see sort of scooping people up. Yeah. He's got a, <laughs> he's got a bit of a, a an empathy, hasn't he, Andrew? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think there's a boldness to because presumably this boy doesn't know what Jesus will do. Is he, is he just wanting to help out? Mm-hmm. You know, here's a couple of fish and some bits of bread that my mum gave me. You know, what's he expecting is going to happen? That Jesus is going to have it, or? They all chip in the lunch that somehow everybody will be fed. Do you know? What I mean? it, 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 you know it's interesting, isn't it? I wondered. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a whole reimagining of that, isn't there? Because I mean, you could be coerced. I mean, is Andrew being yes. a bit forceful as an adult? <laughs> hey, you small boy! I can you know, smell fish. Give us your fish. <laughs> and the boy's like, well, I don't want to give my fish, but because I mean, we don't have his story. Or is he, as you describe, is Andrew getting alongside them and encouraging them? Or did the boy come to Andrew? Mm-hmm. Or was he? I mean, often we portray the boy in that way that he was spontaneously. Uh-huh. I've, I've got Popping the food, up. but, but yeah. it's, it's not there, is it? So there's many backstories that could be... Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I hope Andrew didn't co- coerce him. I would... No, I don't like to think of that as a, no. as a possibility, Jen. But... There, is a, there is a theory. I, I don't know how much... It, there's a, a, an academic called Joanna Collicutt who has a, done some research. Her husband is Alistair McGrath, who writes the... Uh-huh the massive theological books. And uh, she did a thesis, I think, once in which she wondered if in the early church, communions had also included fish. 
Ooh. and that you had these fishy communions and that these were reenactments of uh, the fish and bread stories because mm. you get... Did you fish... get that in John 21, Yeah, yeah, you get it later on, yeah. yeah. Mm, interesting. So fishy Very communion. Very interesting. Michael, uh, and... fishy music would be pleased with that, wouldn't they? Yes, exactly. Stephen Fishback would be loving that. Yeah. Um, yeah, very interesting. Very good. So so then, then can we move on to think about what happens next? So th- I, there is something in- interesting to me, isn't there, about Jesus has... has had this extraordinary thing happen and then he he just retreats doesn't he there's a lot of that here yeah there's a lot of slipping away from the crowd and yeah confounding yeah. the crowd with his movements that really uh, jumped out at me when i was reading it because it's not not the only time i think at the start as well there's a sense that jesus is trying to get away mm-hmm. you know before the feeding of the five thousand, and it's a i think it's repeated quite a lot in john that jesus retreats and again that goes back to the prologue doesn't it if the, if the prologue is going to connect you to the creation story that Jesus is living in that rhythm of working and then Sabbath rest. There's also an explicit thing here, sorry, in John in verse 15, where it says that they wanted to make him king by force. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, so I was going to go on to say sorry, about Jean. the yeah, no no no. How did oh, you know dear. that? You didn't We're know back. That. We're back to our <laughs> usual tricks. <laughs> he, he he is in he's an he's avoiding what the crowd will make make him be. And and I think in current Christian culture, we're just every week there seems to be someone else who has tumbled um, because they've gone with the adulation, they've been raised up, um, and so when then their mistakes are uncovered, it's a it's a huge fall. But Jesus, Jesus avoids that, even though he he is the king. And and so it was a challenge to me because I often think, oh, I want to be the best. I, mm. I want to get this. I want to. I want the thing that I do to be so good that they'll really, really like me or really yeah. like what have I've you, done. Have you thought that at all this week, Jen? I have indeed. <laughs> Sorry, that was using insider <laughs> talk from the <laughs> pre-podcast chat. <laughs> Sorry, Jen, that yeah. was unfair. I mean, I, 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 yeah, I was, I was driving this week, and I often use driving to prepare for things I was doing. And the assembly that I mentioned earlier on that I was doing this morning, I was preparing for that in my drive to Edinburgh. I, I said to God, every time there's a traffic jam i'll prepare that talk in my head and i'll go i'll go over it i'll speak it out loud so but that's not hard because there's many yes. traffic jams in the, MA in the in the morning anyway so i was i was i was uh, practicing and part i was thinking oh i hope mine's the best i hope my assembly is the best assembly this week and i immediately had to say to god stop that don't yeah, let yeah. me think like that god yeah but yeah. if we feel like that oh, yeah. as humans um yeah. jesus knew that too and he 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 got away from it yes yeah, there was that lovely line, isn't it, about the um, the great irony of the Messiah complex is that the only person who never had it mm. actually was the Messiah. That is good. That's a really, I've never heard that before. It's That's from John Hartberg, I think. That's clever. Yeah, no, that is clever. Um, yeah, I, and and I guess yes, it's also that um, I'm always struck by this with Jesus. I'm struck with his in the in the Easter narrative as well. That he that the for me. Had I been Jesus, there would have been this temptation to be like, come on, you know, can you not get it? Boom, I'm yeah. going to show you. Yeah. Now, yeah. I know he's demonstrating power, isn't he, in, in what we're reading here, but he's he's not doing it in order to, to to win the adulation that actually he does rightfully deserve. Well, there's that great comment You know, later he does on. deserve the adulation. Oh, yeah, but so he does it, he does it. It's called a sign. He turns, he creates the water and, the, sorry, the bread and the fish, multiplies it all. We're told this is a sign, which is quite unusual. And mm-hmm. then uh, later on, the crowd come up and say, give us a sign. 
You're yeah. like, yeah, like oh, what do you want? Do you need? Yes. I know, I know, I know. And actually, just as as you were speaking there, Jen, it, it made me think as well. It contrasts with the end of the chapter, which we'll come to, I think, later on when 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 people are turned away. So he actually actively, you know, is is provoking people to 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 walk away sometimes, isn't he? I mean, or his, like, his actions yeah. are causing that. Because they come to him after the feeding of everybody and say, surely this is the prophet who's to come into the world. And you think Jesus could just, yeah, that's it, you got it, well done, let's go. Mm-hmm. But he turns mm-hmm. away from that. He, he doesn't mm-hmm. want them to make him king by force. And the crowd becomes quite relentless, doesn't it? You know, yeah. when, when he gets back off the boat mm-hmm. there, they're just always there, always the questions. And this is going to build and build, I suppose, until yes. we end up in Holy Week. Um so he needed those times away. And isn't it interesting that he had the time away and then during the night after having that, whatever it was, I try, at some point it's something described when Jesus prayed to God, someone used the phrase with me, uh, a triune communion. Like, it wasn't yeah. just Jesus praying, it was a, the Trinity mm. getting, getting yeah. together. Yeah. Um, it's after that he's then able to go and walk across the water yeah. in the darkness and the wind and the waves and show yeah. who he really is because he's yeah. had the time away. Neil, you wanted to say something about St. Anthony of the Desert. So, just because I've been thinking about, I was preaching on John chapter 15 on Sunday, that Jesus is the one who sustains us. There's a whole thing here about Jesus being the bread of life. So, there's, I think there's two teachings here. One is, I am the constant bread who feeds you. And the other one is, when you look up and see me and believe in me, that is when you have eternal life. Th- those are two quite closely related ideas. Jesus is at the heart of them. I love the story of St. Anthony. He lived in Egypt, I think in the 200s. He was a son of a wealthy family. He was convicted by the story of Jesus telling the young man to go and sell his possessions, which I think also spoke to St. Francis later on. Anyway, St. Anthony went into the desert. So this is a desert story. And for 20 years, he wrestled with demons, mm. which we kind of recoil with our modern imaginations from. But, but at the very least, I think I'd want to say he fought a spiritual quest where by prayer, he... He moved deeper into himself to, to till he came probably after 20 years to the point where he had discovered that Jesus was his bread. He, he lived and ate Jesus. And then he emerges from the desert and he has a fullness to him that suddenly people are drawn to him in a, in a new way. It's a bit like Kevin of Glendalough, who we talked about a while ago. And and suddenly the life of Jesus is able to flow through him. But he had learnt this reliance on Jesus. And when people wanted to make Antony somebody that, you know, greater or more than that, he often pushed them away in the same way that Jesus does here. Uh, but I, I love the idea of, of someone going to the desert and discovering their re- reliance on, on Christ. And there's two things I'd say about uh, Anthony. Is one that he gave birth to the movement called the Desert Fathers, who had a prayer called the Jesus Prayer, which they would say again and again and again, which is Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that became their kind of constant prayers again and again and again. They tried to place themselves on reliance on Christ. There's a story of a Russian pilgrim who ends up doing it 12,000 times a day and, and walks around with this sense of Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I love that idea of, of the desert place being the place where you get filled. But the Celts, our own spiritual foremothers and forefathers, they loved Antony of the desert. And often on crosses, or in Celtic crosses, there is a picture of St. Antony. Um, so even though he came from Egypt, he spoke very much to the Irish and Scottish imagination. Um, so yeah, Antony of the desert, who learned, I think, to have Jesus as his bread. 
Very good. Very good. That's sparking off a whole lot of thought in my head, which is maybe a bit of a sidetrack, just about Jesus in the desert as well and about fasting and bread, mm. actually. Mm. I think we I think we in our contemporary situation often dismiss fasting or we or we control fasting yeah. down to something that is um manageable. Manageable. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, when exactly. I said fasting and celebration of discipline, I think talks you through something like a four week fast or something. Oh maybe. yes, he's got it's very it's fa- and it's very rigid. Oh, that, yeah. Days a, yeah. twenty five to twenty nine yes, are often right. quite difficult. Yes, that's right. I know exactly. It's very challenging reading, but also slightly funny because he's so specific. Um great well let's let's move on to just think about how Jesus explains himself as the bread of life and, and that whole section around around eating the flesh, drinking the blood. It's quite uncomfortable reading, isn't oh, it? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I hadn't thought um, either that... Would it be right in saying that for a Jewish person to say that you should be drinking blood, it goes against Jewish law in Leviticus? Mm. Oh, yeah, not that yeah. St- yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So it, it's not just uncomfortable, it's... If for those listening, it would have been what? What are you saying? Yeah. So, I mean, it would be talking yeah. about similar to us talking <laughs> about just... drinking blood. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, because the 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 principle of kosher, isn't it, is is yeah. about making sure that the meat you eat is not, um, or some one it of has the blood drained from it. We just need to check that. Are we talking about halal or kosher at this point? No, 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 because this was also in Tom Wright. I feel as though my entire knowledge (laughs) this week has come from Tom Wright, but he does, he talks about the fact that that kosher slaughter of of meat would be to make sure that the blood was removed. I think it's from, is it Leviticus 17? See, now I'm looking it up whilst we're we're speaking. So, yeah, so Tom Wright says that um, one of the best known of the many Jewish regulations about food and drink was that blood was absolutely forbidden. And you get that from Leviticus 17, um, central statement of the principle. Indeed, the complex system of kosher butchering has this among its chief aims, that no blood should remain in the animal or so and so risk being eaten or drunk. Wow. So Jesus is taking that Leviticus law and, and, and inverting it almost. Yeah. And he yeah. uses very explicit language here, particularly in verse 54, where he talks about crunching on my body. Mm-hmm. Um, it's oh my goodness did you not say that you had a friend so so jesus talks about this a very visceral understanding of eating on his body which almost all commentators think is now jesus is talking about the eucharist about communion and envisioning a bread and wine in very bodily terms and at that mm-hmm. point people walk away and did you not say you had a friend for whom that was a very important verse Yes, a friend who's a Catholic priest, and we've had long conversations into the early hours. It's been a long time since I've had a long conversation with him. I need to visit and have another conversation because they're always very stretching and challenging. But he would say this this bit in John chapter 6 is central to why he believes in transubstantiation and the blood, uh, the wine and the bread becoming the blood and body of Jesus at Mass and that the people walking away show that it was too difficult for them to deal with. And and that's and that's why he's a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Neil, you were you were going to give a bit of an explanation, I think, weren't you, of of different understandings of the Eucharist. Yes. And I think Protestants have historically both underplayed the Eucharist and I think verses like this would push us to a, a kind of stronger or higher view of the Eucharist. And the, so the history of this is that the, the extreme end of the kind of spectrum of understanding of what happens to the bread and wine in 
in the act of communion. Uh, firstly, the extreme Protestant version, which owes itself to one of the reformers called Ulrich Zwingli, who was from Zurich, and he said nothing. He was very, very opposed to Catholic understandings at that time, which said that um, the word is transubstantiation, that the, the body and blood, uh, the bread and wine became the body and blood of Jesus Christ. So that's mm -hmm. transubstantiation. Zwingli so hated that, and he said, it's nothing happens whatsoever. Uh, it's simply a memorial meal. And mm -hmm. that would probably, I don't know about you, but that would probably be the dominant understanding that I perhaps grew up with in mm -hmm. faith. There's no magic mm -hmm. here. It's simply a mm -hmm. memorial. It's, a, it's an mm -hmm. aid memoir, nothing more. Yeah. Now, what's quite interesting is that Luther, who sparked the Protestant uh, Reformation, he hated that uh, understanding as well. He said, if it says it's the body and blood, that's good enough for me and anything else is from the devil. And uh, he, so he was probably transubstantiation, but one of his followers, uh, Philip Melanchthon, I've probably pronounced that wrong, it's a very hard word to say, he believed in a thing called consubstantiation, in which uh -huh. he believed that the, the body and blood of Jesus Christ were consumed with the bread and wine. So it wasn't that the bread and wine became those things, but, but somehow Jesus became present in a, a special way to us. And then finally, John Calvin, you would think John Calvin was in with, with Zwingli, but he wasn't. He believed in a thing called the real presence. So he said that Jesus Christ was especially present when a communion was celebrated. So you've got the spectrum from Zwingli saying it's memorial meal, to John Calvin saying real presence, to Melanchthon saying consubstantiation, to Luther and Catholic theologians uh, saying it's transubstantiation. And all I would say is that this passage here in John nudges me further away mm -hmm. on the dial from Zwingli mm -hmm. and closer to Aquinas and the Catholic theologians on that understanding. Mm -hmm. And I think that's important because I think when we neglect the bread and wine as part of our regular Christian practice, we, to some extent, we spiritually starve ourselves. Yeah. And therefore, I, I would be saying as, as a Protestant, we need to be having communion more often. And I think that for me, as I've grown in faith, it has become more and more important as a part of my own Christian life. It is interesting, isn't it? Because even if you have the, the Zwingli perspective, you know, if you're, mm -hmm. if you're quite far down that spectrum, Zwingli, you would nonetheless hold um, communion as a sacramental practice. Yeah, yeah. So there is, regardless of, of where you sit on that, on those four perspectives... You would, we would all, I think, as as either any, not either, but any part of the the Christian Church, I think, say that this is a fundamental. So, what, what when you use the word sacrament there, I'm interested. How, mm. I'm not trying to contradict holy. you in any way. It's a holy moment, okay. I think. Okay. I, th I think that's in, my, the, well, in the sense I mean, that's of just my understanding. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think that's what I think. We had lots of interesting discussions around this during lockdown uh -huh. as as a leadership in our church. Of, of whether we should take communion over Zoom yeah. because because communion by its nature is a somatic practice, isn't it? It's something you do in the in, in presence the together, in community together. It's a bodily yeah. thing. Yeah. Um, and we, we actually landed on, yes, we should do it because because the, we, we recognised that it was important to be doing it mm. and that doing it over Zoom was a lesser, a lesser version of, of being in, person and able to do it yeah. but it was important to still do it yeah yeah and and something that is so important has become so complicated as yes. well 
because all yes, these it becomes things, a defining yeah. issue, doesn't it? That's which which it does in this chapter, to be fair. Uh-huh. Yeah, and and how far do we go with? Because Jesus is saying here, isn't he? He's saying you need to do this. If you don't do this, um, you have no life in you. Mm. Yes. Um, I'll raise you up at the last day. Yes. So if you take that to its extreme. And and I don't believe what I'm about to say. I don't believe this next statement. I, I, I'm not in that place. If you don't do this, then you're not saved. You're not with Jesus and you're not fully with him. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I, I, I don't think I can go to that place because uh-huh. I, 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 don't, I don't believe that's what it means to be fully with Jesus and have his life in you. You mean that... that that's extreme, what he's saying. The extreme version is unless you're having communion regularly, you're not saved. Is that what you're? Well, that just I'm not, I'm by not, reading, by, yeah. yeah, by reading this, is is that is that what Jesus is saying? See, I think it sits along verse forty where he says you've got to believe as well. So we're we're back mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. sorry to polarize things, but we're back into Protestant Reformation land at that point mm-hmm. because it's saying mm-hmm. that faith, which is the word uh, that is translated a belief here, um, is key to being saved. Yes, yes. Maybe it's an ecumenical text. Pulling together was, Catholic and Protestant understandings of salvation, is. yeah, in a more holistic way, oh, perhaps. And I, a, yeah, I'm thinking of a very we we have communion at our messy church once a year on Good Friday, and it's always been one of the most profound communions that I've ever been part of, uh, and it's incredibly simple in mm-hmm. its process. Mm-hmm. And all ages are present. I actually feel like I'm going to cry talking about it, which is, you know, I've said this before, I don't really cry. And I'm wondering now, having this conversation, is it because we're really doing something yes. that makes you God's people, that that brings you into connection in a closer way with Jesus? Not that there's other things that we do that don't do that, but there's a real significance in it. And I remember one of the first messy church communions we had we had a table in the middle of the floor and we were all sitting around all different ages and our minister invited us. Um, it's important I say that, isn't it? Because if you don't have a minister present in some denominations, that would be problematic. In some denominations. <laughs> um, he was giving out the bread and this one, we a wee four-year-old boy who got his bread without being asked, without being told or asked, he broke his bread mm-hmm. and he ran across the room to, uh, to him, a random woman he didn't know in her 40s, and handed her a bit of bread. Wow. Mm. And it was a beautiful illustration of, this is my body, share it out. Now, he didn't uh-huh. know that. He'd never uh-huh. been in communion before, and no one had told him to do that. Mm. And I, I'm just trying to express the, the sense of, there is, as you said, something holy, something sacred yeah. about meeting together in whatever form. And I know some people, as I describe that messy church communion, some people I know and love will be like, oh, no, no, that, that isn't what communion should be. Yeah, but no, geez, for me, Jesus was there in that yeah, moment. Yeah. Where, that, where that takes me to is the boy in the... In yes, the me too. The boy Sorry. bringing the lunch. Yeah, yeah. I know. that. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. Yes, and, and I think, that, that I guess, and this might be my takeaway when we come to these takeaways, is is I think we can, so it's, it's, we can layer our understanding of some of these theological things by our upbringing, by mm-hmm. our denomination, by, you know, what we've experienced. And actually it is really important, isn't it, to come back and, and really examine the text for ourselves with the knowledge that there's complexity in that and we, mm. we, we might not land on the, on exactly the, the right answer um, because it's because there's mystery in it. Um, yeah, interesting and, to think about. Uh, it'd be interesting when we come to talk about the Last Supper 
Mm-hmm. And I know that's not really in John, as we said mm-hmm. in our mm. Easter podcast that are coming up. <laughs> um, but we often refer to communion as linking to the Last Supper. Yeah. But I don't really remember in the communions I've experienced there being any sense of it being linked to this. No, mm-hmm. no. Mm-hmm. It's always the Last Supper it's connected to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that an easier connection? Yeah, it's more of, yeah, but probably. as you say, uh-huh. the connection here is pretty explicit. Lots to go away and ponder with that. Um, before we before we, we round things off, Jen, you wanted to come back to talk about the boat, did you? Yeah, I just, um, why did the disciples go off without Jesus? You know, they, they're on this hillside with them. They've had this fantastic day. Um, and then he's, 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 they're all on the hillside, but they, it says, when Ethan came, the disciples went down to the lake where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. And it's not like they're sort of Jesus is told, I think maybe in the other stories of this. Mar- yeah, because in Mark, it's when like, it's, when it's go, the coming of the storm, he sends them off, doesn't he? He sends yeah. them off. But and I, my imagination was going, until you get such a good day and you get kind of carried away. You know, like, <laughs> oh, that's great. And they're all so excited and off they go in the boat and they kind of forget. Where's like, Jesus? Oh, no, oh Jesus yeah. isn't here. But I, I just think that's so, it's so real. I know that I do that in my life all the time. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, let's do this, let's do that. Oh, Jesus. Like, <laughs> maybe maybe <laughs> I should have invited you along. Yeah, mm-hmm. right. Maybe I should have asked you to be part of this. And it, I I just I hadn't thought about that before. And and then, but they don't realize until it's dark and windy and rough, mm-hmm. and life's going. Mm-hmm. It's all going a bit of a mess. Mm-hmm. And that and again, that's so true. It's true for me. You know, it's when life starts to blow up a bit. I'm like, Jesus, uh, where are you, please? Mm-hmm. That's very good. I think we'll um, round off the discussion there other than to say that we, we all identified or identified with Peter's statement at the end about where else yeah. would we go, Lord? Mm. That's being significant verse for all of us. Um, thank you very much to both of you. Uh, Takeaway, I'm going to go away and contemplate communion. And Zwingli. <laughs> yeah, it's a good name. Indians <laughs> are called Zwingli. Oh, I just come to terms with that last. I mean, there's been lots today. I kind of thought, yeah. what are we going to talk about today? Yeah, I um, I like the thing about getting in the boat without mm-hmm. without Jesus. Jen's little mm. moment in the tail there. Puts them in. Yep, <laughs> stinging the tail from Jen. Jen, what was yours? Oh, I, I think I need to read the whole chapter again. <laughs> ah. I, as a bit of a cop out, I yeah, I I think it's the same as you. If you know the whole the whole bread stuff and the wine, I need to mm-hmm. prayerfully. Um, mm-hmm. Think about that, and I, and I maybe need to have a wee visit to my friend, um, who sees this as such a significant uh, passage, and and talk again with him mm-hmm. about yeah. what it means for him, and and keep that openness. You know, it's become such a big thing across the Christian church, communion or Eucharist or Mass, whatever we call it. Uh, and maybe I just need to have more conversations with people who have had different experiences yeah. from me. Interesting. Can, can I just say a name here? The, the name is Mary Crawford. I used to work in Belfast when I was a youth worker there. My office was in a, a terraced house called The Way In, and it was the custodian of it was a woman who had a vision for it, a, that a place in the city centre of Belfast where anybody could come in and feel welcome. And it was often quite hard, and she often felt unsupported, but she worked very hard. Her name was Mary. She was quite deaf, and she, she was the first person I knew who had a cochlear implant. And, uh, but she, she, for 20 years of her life, lived this way in. And her favorite chapter of the Bible was John chapter six, this chapter. Mm, uh, oh she's now 
a very a, she's in a nursing home. She has very serious dementia. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is Mary's favourite chapter, and it sustained oh. a quite remarkable life. There you go. Brilliant. Good. Thank you very much. Well, thank you both. Uh, Jen, have you got a gem? My gem this week, unsurprisingly perhaps, is about the wee boy with his lunch. And what I was thinking about was that he had to actually be there. Like, he he didn't kind of get brought out from the Sunday school uh, to bring his picnic he was at the event. He was at the whole thing. He he he'd been he he was there maybe with his family or with friends or the community, but he was part of that group on the hillside, an integral part of it. And once again, it's an encouragement for us in today's church in Scotland that children are part of what we do, uh, not just brought up for special occasions at the front to perform or kept safe at the side. Uh, but they're right in the heart of it because it's only when they're really at the heart of it properly they can then be encouraged I hope Andrew encouraged them didn't coerce them um, <laughs> to give what they've got to give um, yeah so that that was it was a very when I was reading this it was a very challenge a challenge to me uh, are, are children part of what we do because I, I was thinking about planning something for Holy Week and I was thinking of a, a particular age group then I thought no wait a minute we should maybe just all do this mm-hmm. and then children will be central to what we're doing mm-hmm that's my gem today. That's lovely, Jen. Mm. Thank you. I just want to tell you, so you feel very proud of me. Um, <laughs> we had a, a vision listening forum recently at church. So it was a kind of opportunity for people to, to share yeah. what we feel the vision is for our church. And uh, there was some talk about the children doing something in another room. And I said, no, we should just include them in this. And so we did a thing with the children and families where the, we gave them lots of Lego and we, we got them to do different things in response and to use the Lego to do that. And I think, to be honest, some of the adults around the flip charts we're looking with envy at the at the Lego. Yeah, it was brilliant though. It was, and it did. Fantastic. It had that. And actually, the, there were some brilliant things that came out of what the, the yeah. children had had to come up with when they were doing it. So, yeah. and mm. children do need Andrews. You know, mm. they need yes. the gatekeepers, the yes. ones who'll speak mm. for they'll them say, and give them yeah. the platform and help them to speak because it's you know children. And I, I know, yeah. Sometimes it seems that children, my children, have a much better voice, chance to be heard now than they've ever had. Maybe, yes. but that's still very hard for them to be heard. Yeah. So bring yeah. on the Andrews. Bring on the Andrews. Well, thank you very much to both of you. <laughs> Neither of you being an Andrew. Um, thank you to Jen and Neil. Uh, and thank you very much for joining us, listeners. Next time we'll be talking about John chapter 7, where tensions rise as word of Jesus ministry spreads. So join us then for some more outspoken conversation. And in the meantime, don't forget to like, rate, share and review so that other people can get involved. And if you want to drop us an email, the address is outspoken at scottishbiblesociety.org. Let us know what you think. Join our merry band. Thanks for listening. 